For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. This is the reading of God's word. Well, good morning, True North. My name is Eugene. I'm a member of the pastoral staff. Uh, I want to welcome you again on this morning, whether it's physically or virtually, for joining us. Uh, I have uh, the great honor of also starting a a new series uh, for us, and it'll kind of be an interesting, uh, I guess, journey together. Uh, It'll be two weeks on the pulpit uh, of learning uh, of how we can deal with our past communally and individually, and we'll also follow that up uh, with a four-week study uh, midweek in the office. And and I guess just to give a disclaimer, uh, much of what I'm going to be able to preach on the pulpit will be very general and what I hope to do in the cohort is to get a lot more specific uh, with families, with parents, attachment, tears, laughter, whatever you want to do together. Uh, so if you are interested, you can sign up on our website. Um, but <clears throat> before we get into uh, the sermon, I don't usually do this, but uh, I want us to pray just quickly together uh, with the, the weight of this topic. And let me pray and we'll get into the word. Uh, Lord, we're, we're gathered here as, as a body um, of different People, stories, past, uh, we often assume that everyone is doing well or doing okay or manageable. Uh, But I know there are people here who just the thought of their past, uh, trauma, abuse of all sorts can can be triggering, can be hard to even manage together. But we hope together through your word and your truth that we can trek, not as an individual journeyer or just solo traveler through the terrains of the past, but communally together with your presence as a church with the spirit bonded together that we can look into our past and hopefully a way forward. So we thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, if, you, if you know me, uh, I'm a very not emotional guy, so even me doing the series is, is difficult, but uh, I've been seeing therapy for a while and um, it's been very helpful. And much of what I share with you, you're going to be like, this sounds like therapy, um, and it kind of is, but what I hope to do is I think everyone should see therapy at one point, um, hopefully a Christian therapist if possible, um, but I'm saving you money because the first couple of sessions, it's doing what we're doing, all right? So think of that too, um, but also understand that the concepts that I'm trying to put out, they're not, I'm not trying to solve anyone's problems. I don't know enough about this topic, but what I do and I'm sure of is this, your past no matter how rosy it is, no matter how traumatic it is, is affecting your present and will affect your future in so many ways that you do not understand and that even I don't understand. You know, even for myself, uh, again, if you know me, it's, it, I, don't, I have a really cold-hearted skin and, and I'm, I'm cynical. My therapist says it's because I'm really soft inside, but whatever, right? So it's really hard to get through to me. And even in our marriage, uh, oftentimes it was me hurting my wife and not a lot of times my wife hurting me because of my defense mechanisms. But I do remember clearly the first instance of like deep, deep pain that my wife caused me. It's going to sound very trivial and elementary. But if you uh, didn't know this about me, I grew up in Fremont, California. Um, I've only moved two times in my life, or three, but only two that I remember. Uh, from Fremont, California to Pleasanton, California uh, with my family uh, until college. So I was, I'm a Bay Area kid born and raised. And I remember before I moved up to True North, I was in Southern California with my wife, and we had a chance to visit my parents. And I'm on the 680, if you guys know 680 North, it's a very nostalgic freeway to me. I'm a very nostalgic dude. 
Like, I love physical places. Like, there's something about it that just kind of brings all these emotions to me. And I saw the exit to my old house, my Fremont house, that I, haven't, I hadn't seen in over, like, a decade plus a couple more years. So I turned to my wife. I was like, dude, Sylvia, like, I have a special gift for you. Like, it was more self-centered, but I was like, for you, right? So I get off that exit off mission, and I'm going down the street, and I'm just getting flooded with memories. I haven't been down this road for over a decade. I'm going down the road. I turn into the corner that I remember so clearly. Like, I'm a really visible guy. Um, I, I'm really bad with directions, but if I've done the route once, I can remember it just by visual kind of reimagining. I turn the corner, and it's just like a rush of emotions. And I'm like, behold the glory, right, of my old house in Fremont, California. And I remember I parked, and I was like, do you see it? And my wife was like, cool, like, let's go eat. I'm really hungry, right? And that hurt me, like, deeply. Like, I'm, and I'm legitimately, like, I was really hurt. Like, I wasn't even angry. It was just like, this is my core value, right? Like, how, how dare you do that? And I was always confused. Like, I would always do this with her. I would bring her even, okay, for example, I would bring her to the spot where we got, I proposed. And I was like, look at this. This is a beautiful spot. She's like, oh, that's cool, right? I was like, what's the difference between me and her? And as I thought about it more, I realized so much of both of our past, especially our families, shaped how we view our present and our present values. You see, for me, I've only moved twice, and it's within a 25-mile radius. I've only had to move schools once, a school system. The church I've been to was stayed, stayed my whole life until college. There was a, a level of stability in my life, and from that, from that past, from, from that experience with my family, of not having to move, of having that privilege of even staying in one area for, until I was 18 years old, there was a level of stability that I could enjoy and become nostalgic. Nostalgia is a privilege, it only exists when you're at one place for a very long time. But my wife is a very different family story. She's bounced around from Baltimore to Seattle, to back to California, to Southern California, now to Northern California. She's been all across the United States. For her, she's never been in a place long enough to attach any sense of nostalgia to a physical place. For her, it's her family, her physical embodiment of the flesh. That's what she brings value in. And what I realize is, oh man, so much of our past creates tensions for the present and the future. And it's a, it's a very trivial, you know, uh, example, but I think for all of us, this happens all the time. The values that you carry, as much as you think you've created them, and maybe you have, but the past, especially your family, your parents, whether it's in a positive or negative reaction, have shaped that. Our present and ultimately future are shaped by our past, especially from our families of origin. And this isn't even just something uh, theoretical. Often now there's genetic examples of this. There's a field called epigenetics. It's, it's kind of still contested. But what they've done, especially, it's, it's a very famous survey uh, looking at the molecular breakdown of a, a family of origin from starting from the Holocaust. And what they've realized is that even on a molecular level, what happens to our parents or perhaps even to our grandparents or previous generations, it shapes who we are on a fundamental molecular level. So meaning that for the survivors of the Holocaust, the actual survivors who are maybe 90, 95 years old now or 100, they would test their genetics and find out, oh, they had a gene that was over kind of the average that would produce cortisone or anxiety. And what they realize is that gene appears in following generation after generation after generation. 
It's not just theoretical. It's in your genes. It's in your blood. It's in your bones. Your past affects who you are today. And not only does your past affect our personal relationships today, it strongly shapes how we view God. Oftentimes, more often than not, your relationship with your earthly, physical father has so much influence on how you see our heavenly father. Remembering our story, telling our story is the only way we can get home to who we actually are at an individual level, but also on a communal level. The reason we want to do this series is because to function as a church, to actually be a body of believers, you have to understand what you're bringing to this family. Pete Scazzaro puts it really well. He puts it this way. In emotionally healthy churches, people understand how their past affects their present ability to love Christ and others. They've realized from scripture and life that an intricate, complex relationship exists between the kind of persons they are today and their past. Numerous external forces may shape us, but the family we have grown up in is a primary and except in rare instances, the most powerful system that will shape and influence who we are. I can already sense, if you're like me, there's a sense of like tension as you read that, right? To put it very bluntly, culturally even, I know the majority of us here are Asian American. Pete Scazzaro is a Caucasian believer. Uh, not, not saying that there's any level of, you know, privilege or anything like that, but even how Asian Americans and Asians view their past is so different often. We revere the past. There's nothing wrong with our past. We even worship our ancestors culturally. And to view that, to think about that, it kind of causes you tension if you're like me. But for us to move forward, we have to move backwards. For us to have any personal, spiritual, emotional progression, you have to look back. You have to deal with your past. But the problem is, for a lot of us, there are inhibitors that stop us from doing so. There's a couple things often I hear when I bring up the past to anyone, whether in church or not. One is this, hey, I'm my own person, man. Like the past does not affect me. The past is the past. Why do I, if I think about the past more, it gives it more power. I shouldn't go to therapy. I shouldn't blame my parents. I shouldn't dishonor my family. I am who I am. Maybe I've been abused, but that's not gonna define me. And there's, there's some truth to that. Right, that you are free in Jesus. Right? So some even Christians here that have been in church, you might think, wait, wait, wait a second. The whole point of the gospel and, and Jesus is, oh, you are freed from your past. Why do we need to go back to the past? That is true. You are not defined by your past in Christ, but you are still strongly shaped by it as a human being. For those who think, oh, I'm my own person. I don't need to look back. What we fail to realize is God has created us not to be independent of our own, but in codependence with him and also other human beings. The very spiritual makeup of your soul is created so that your past affects your present and your future. You were created to be in communion with others, and if you're created to be in communion with others, those others that raise you influence you. And not only do they influence you in positive ways, they also carry destructive patterns from the past. When you look at Genesis and from the fall, you realize we carry destructive patterns handed down from our past and families and generations before. And really quick, um, if I grew up in a Korean church and often my parents are a little charismatic, there's things called generational curses. Nah, that ain't it. 
There's no curse on you from, you know, because your great-grandfather stole from the church. There's, there's none of that, all right? But there are generational sins, patterns, generational brokenness that is always passed down. Maybe it doesn't look the same, but there's some form like a virus that keeps spreading down under, over and over and over again. And it's biblical. I'm not even making this up. When you look at Genesis, it's the, Genesis is the whole, Genesis is just family therapy for Abraham's family. And you're like, man, you got a messed up family, bro. Like, if you don't know the story of Abraham, he's the one in Genesis 12 where God calls and says, look, you are now the forefather of my people. Your family, your people are my people. You are God's people. It's the creation of the church. So Abraham goes, and what does he do? He messes up bad in so many ways. But two things he does. He goes to a foreign land, and he, his wife is beautiful. Okay, in the, in the literature, it's implied she is beautiful. And he does this twice. He tells his wife, look, we're going to enter into a new land. And although we're God's people and God says he's got us, you need to tell the king or the leader that you are my sister. Because if they find out you're my wife, they will kill me and take you. Do you know what he's doing? Like he's literally making his wife a prostitute to save his own butt. He does it twice. Twice. Abraham has a son called Isaac. You know what Isaac does? Isaac does the same exact thing in the same exact city with the same exact king. He goes to King Abimelech and he enters his land. And he says, oh, this is my sister. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. What happens with Isaac's son, Jacob? Jacob sees this misogyny, these lies, and it's, it gets passed down. How does Jacob even become blessed? Jacob's Hebrew name is deceiver. The only way Jacob is blessed in his family is he lies to Isaac by saying, I'm Ishmael, your eldest son, so t give me his blessing. He, he literally continues a pattern of lies and brokenness. And then what does Jacob even do to make it even worse? Jacob's children, if you remember the story of Joseph, he says, oh, Joseph, to create even more sibling rivalry as I've already done, Joseph, you are my favorite. And he tells his sons that, to create more chaos in his family. There are sins in your family that aren't cursed, but there are patterns of brokenness that are passed down. You are not your own person. I wish we were. Oh, how I wish we were. I wish we were free from our past. I wish it wouldn't affect us. And as much as we want it to be true, when you take a deep look, you realize it is not. Our deepest sins are often patterned from our families and pasts and our origins. And you realize from the text we just read that Paul's implying Satan is always twisting your past for his pleasure. So yes, you might say, I am my own person. And I agree, there is a level of responsibility. We're not trying to blame our parents, our families for all of our mistakes. But you have to understand, you are shaped by your past. So some of us say, look, I'm my own person. Others of us might say, look, I don't need this. My family is great. My parents love me. They cook for me still. I can see my in-laws fine. There's no drama. There's no, everything about my past is fine. And to this, I say to you, if, if you feel that way, well, one, God bless you. You are a lucky person. Maybe you don't need therapy. You'll save a lot of money. That's fine. But you need to realize that every family in a broken world carries some form of dysfunction, and that dysfunction, as small as it is, is still passed down. Often I hear, you know, people who get really defensive, like, no, my family is fine. 
Like, I don't need any of this stuff. And the more often strongly you believe that, I often think it's a harder defense mechanism to not break up the false story you have of your past. Look, as a parent, I, my kids are going to need therapy for sure, okay? Because I realize as broken people, it is so hard to, one, take care of yourself, but to raise children, something is always passed down. You need to, look, even if your past is fine and roses and happy, you need to understand who you are for the sake of your future family and for the sake of the future family of God. So meaning, look, yeah, maybe you don't carry trauma from your past. Maybe your parents did raise you in a very healthy way, and God blessed you for that. God, praise the Lord for that. But still, you're going to maybe marry someone that, yeah, they, maybe they don't have trauma, but their values of their families are so different, it's going to clash. Most marriage tension, as a pastor, I can tell you, after year two, it's not money. It's not sex. It's not jobs. It's not real estate. It's always and ends with family how we were raised, and how we want to raise our families. And even if it's a perfect family for you, I guarantee your spouse will not agree with you. So you got to do the work. John Calvin puts it this way. Nearly all wisdom we possess, true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. You have to figure out how you've been shaped, even if it's been in a good way. Understand your past so you can empathize with those around you. So one, look, if, you're, if you think you're on your, own, your own person, you're not. If you think your family and past are great, maybe, but you still need this. But lastly, for some of us, and I think a vast majority of us, the thing that stops us from dealing with our past is simply, it's hard to look at my past. I can't look at my past. I don't know how to look backwards. There's too much pain. There's too much shame. There's too much dishonor. And next week, what I really want to do is speak directly about shame but first let me say this if you feel like it's hard to look in my past that's normal go at your own pace I'm not saying oh this has to all be done in one week or one day but you have to begin the journey somewhere as some of us it's so hard to look at the past because there's an internal guilt that some of us may feel I don't want to dishonor my family I don't want to blame my parents for who I am that's an easy way out, and that's true. When, when we're talking about dealing with our past as a church, we're not trying to blame shift who we are and excuses for our, our you know, personality traits all to our past. No, 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 the, the reason we want to deal with our past is, look, honesty is not dishonor, but honesty is owning the reality of your story. You have to own up to what has happened. We're not looking to blame shift we're not looking to excuse ourselves out of our own personality traits, but we're called to name our past. Why? Uh, Richard Plass and James Cofield, who have helped me tremendously, they're two therapists that are Christian, they write this about our past. We must get to both the conscious and unconscious reality of our story. We must do so because whatever we do not own will eventually own us. Whatever you do not name will own you. Whatever you do not deal with will linger in your soul. To put it even better, you will always transmit to others what you don't transform in yourself. You will always transmit to others what you don't transform in yourself. It is not dishonoring to name the loss and pain you felt in your family. 
Jesus did not call to just blame them, but Jesus did call to forgive those who have wronged you. And the only way to start that path of forgiveness is by naming that pain and sin and trauma that was caused. And others of us, maybe it's partly dishonoring, maybe partly it's shame, but it's just so much trauma. It's painful. Right, for a select, maybe not even select, I don't want to assume anything, maybe for a vast majority of us, when you look at your past, you, you rethink of images of abuse, whether it's physical, sexual, emotional. There are things that even are so painful, probably you have blacked out of your mind. And to you, I say, look, go at your own pace and realize heavy trauma is usually connected generationally in one form or another. It's not just you. There are, there, I would, if you feel alone, as trauma often makes you do feel, realize that it is a lie because you are not. There are people in this room that share a similar story as you. And to give you a, just an ounce of hope, notice that in the story of Abraham's family, the one who breaks the generational pattern of brokenness, of misogyny, of lying, of family rivalry, of all these things, is Joseph. If you don't know the story of Joseph, Joseph is the most favored son of Jacob, right? And he, you know, this is kind of three generations of all this stuff. And Joseph has the heaviest trauma of all. He's sent to Egypt, enslaved, and left for dead by his brothers. And yet, through the heaviest trauma of his family, Joseph is the one that's able to muster enough courage with God's presence to forgive, to finally forgive his family, and break the patterns and loops of brokenness. For those of you who have heavy trauma, let me speak to you in this way. I know it's hard to see, but it's an opportunity because I promise you this. If you have been abused in any form, it, you're not the first person in your family. It's, it's astounding when you look at statistics that, especially for sexual abuse, over half of the time it's by a family member. And there's a reason for that. There are patterns of brokenness going on. Understand this. Look, it is hard to look at the past, but also it's only through looking in the past that there's an opportunity to heal for the future. So with all that, there's so many ways we can go. And a lot of specifics I want to save for that cohort because it'll be a little more specific in a smaller setting. But the problem often to even process all that because you're like, cool, Eugene, I get it. Like, we are shaped by our past. We're not our own person. Even if my family is good, like, I, I got stuff to work through. And even my trauma, God can use that. But how do I even start? Because if you're like me, what you realize is your past, your family, it's like water to a fish. You can't even process it because you don't even see it. It's just part of what you're doing every single day. And look, we'll, we'll dive deeper into family dynamics in the study. But often I found a basic and helpful paradigm to understand how the past affects us now practically is what therapists often call, we all follow a narrative script, a script from the past. You know, if, if you realize, if, if you're in Hollywood or, or in entertainment, uh, unless you're in improv, you're given a script. And that script is a guideline of, in this reality of this play or this movie, you should follow this. You can, you can go offline here and there. You can ad-lib here and there. But generally, that's the script you're going to follow. It tells you exactly what to do. And in the same way, you, we have to realize, as human beings... The only, the thing that makes us human is that we're looking for a story to live in. We're not robots. We're looking for a narrative. And in every narrative, there is a script to follow. 
And oftentimes, those scripts that we follow, not often, all the time, they're shaped by your past, especially your families of origin. By early adulthood, we are already following narrative scripts we learned as a kid. And they are so hard to get out of or even be aware of. Uh, there's a great show called Westworld. I know there's some high school students in here, so don't watch that if you're in high school. But if you're a little older, uh, it's on HBO. It's a great show because what it kind of shows you is how the premises are robots that they've created to kind of create an alternate world where humans can live and do whatever they want. And the way that they control these robots is they have them in loops. They do the same action over and over and over again. And for these robots to gain autonomy or enlightenment, often a robot that is free comes and makes them aware, look at the loop that you're stuck in. And that's what we're called to do. Like, you have to understand, this isn't just therapist talk. This is spiritual. Genesis in 118, when, when God creates Adam and Eve, what he tells Adam is, it's not good for man to be alone. We are created for and by relationships. The relationships that we are created for create scripts to live by. Like, the, the reason God designed us to be in a family is, as an infant, we don't know what to make of the world. We need to feel our emotions. We need to learn how to deal with them. And often, whether your parents knew it or not, they taught you how to do that, intentionally or unintentionally. So what is a script? In a script, in a narrative script that all of us carry that, that were caused by the past, there are three things that you have to realize. I'll be very spatial, right? One, events that have happened, right? Oh, hey, I remember my dad. He never showed up to my baseball game. That's an event. And oftentimes these events... There are multiple events of repetition. They're loops. There are events that happen over and over and over again, kind of similar, that, that kind of leave a lasting impact. Right? If you guys watch Inside Out, you guys know that movie, right? Uh, core memories. That's the same thing. These are the events, these large events, impacting events that impact your past. From your events, what happens, you know, let's say, hey, my dad never showed up to my baseball games. Secondly, there are emotions connected to that event, emotions that you felt at that time, right? And this is the thing, all these emotions, you gotta like, I suck at this, you gotta feel them and, and honor them because they are who you are, whether you like it or not. So let's say your dad doesn't show up to your baseball games, the emotion you feel is, man, I just feel lonely. And you know what, do you get a deeper emotion? is like, I just feel, I feel sad. I feel sad because I'm not loved the way that I should be or the way I think I should be. So there's events, there's emotions that you feel, and the script is formed by, thirdly, an interpretation. Because this is the thing, as human beings, you're interpreting things all the time. And with every event and emotion that you feel, whether you like it or you want it or not, your soul always creates an interpretation. Oftentimes, to get even personal, right, to, that personal example was mine, right? My dad, when I played soccer, I changed it, but anyways, my, my dad played soccer, Oftentimes, he wouldn't show up. And I, look, I'm not trying to blame him, right? I understand as a dad, like, oh, hey, my, I was doing a lot of sports, but I love soccer. But I remember my dad would always drop me off, and the event I remember is my dad would drop me off, send me to a game, and then pick me up. And whenever he would pick me up, he'd always ask me, hey, did you score? And this is the thing. I don't think my dad was like, did you score? Because if not, I'm not going to take you anymore. He was just wondering. But those are the only interactions I have with my dad. The emotions I felt was like, man, I just felt super unworthy, I felt lonely. I felt like, man, like every other kid on the team, they have some sort of family there. I'm the only one. I'm the only Asian kid on this team. I'm just by myself. 
So just feel lonely. The interpretation that I made is I am not acceptable. I cannot be acceptable unless I'm performing well. And that has carried through my whole life. And this is the thing. There is some truth to that interpretation. You, you, you should try and do well, right? There were some kids, I'm not going to say names, but there was a coach's kid who was a starter where like, you're not performing well, but you're just there because you're the coach's kid. And his interpretation is probably like, life is good, right? That, that's a bad interpretation. There's some truth to my interpretation. You should try well when you do anything. But in every interpretation that you have, there's always a half truth that creeps in. There's always a lie that creeps in. Even for me now, I've realized I'm always trying to prove myself to my friends. I'm always trying to send them a joke that will get them to laugh. And still, in my group text, they don't laugh, right? I'm always making sure I got to do my best to pay for their meals because I want to make sure that they accept me. Because that's the interpretation of how I viewed people. And this is the thing. This, you're all doing this. You, you read about this like, oh, that, that guy needs therapy. No, you need therapy. And I don't mean that in a derogatory sense. Because these scripts are running. They are running in your life 24-7. They're unconsciously there. And from all that, well, how does God fit into all of this? So many of our scripts from our past, they carry half-truths or even full-blown lies from Satan. So often, the interpretations that we create, they're to defend ourselves. They're defense mechanisms. We interpret our pain, and because we feel pain, we never want to feel that again. So our interpretation is, I'm going to make sure that never happens. So you know what I do? I keep myself at a distance from people as much as I can. People think like, oh, yeah, like I know Eugene. You do not. It's not your fault. It's mine. Because in my mind, I gotta, I'm, not gonna, I'm gonna make sure I never feel that again. And the only way I'm gonna make sure I don't feel that again is to disconnect myself from people. The problem is, that is not how God designed you to survive. You are meant to be receptive in relationship and connection with those around you. But so often your scripts do not allow you to do that. And what Paul's describing is there is a war going on in your past and in your soul. You cannot change what has happened. I wish we could. I wish Christianity was that simple. That like, dude, once you believe in Jesus, your past is wiped. It is not wiped. It is still there. But you can change how you interpret your past with God. These scripts, they're extremely difficult to break out of because it's decades, maybe even more than that, of patterns and loops over and over and over again. But what Paul says is, in 2 Corinthians, he says this, we have divine power to destroy strongholds. And you read that, you're like, oh, what is that? I don't know what that really means. That sounds, I'll put it in my Instagram bio, right? What does that actually mean? Strongholds in the New Testament language, what it was talking about is in any city you try to take over, there was a part of the city where you would retreat to where it was a stronghold. It was often a fortress or a castle. It's basically fortified that no matter how you try, you're not gonna break through. Doesn't that sound like our past? Doesn't that sound like your trauma? It's a stronghold in your life. It has a grip and it cannot be penetrated. But what Paul is saying is with Christ, it can easily be penetrated through the cross. As Paul often, as Paul mentions, these scripts, they're directly against the truth God has for us. Look here in verse, uh, verse five. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. So often the scripts in your life that you're living through from your past, 
There are opinions and arguments that, contr- that are direct in direct contrary to God's truth, that God has chosen you no matter what you have done, that God has redeemed you no matter where you have been, that God loves you no matter how much you feel unlovable from your parents or from abuse. That's God's truth. And what Paul says is don't let those arguments or opinions win. Many of our interpretations are exaggerated defenses that are forged to make us feel safe. But the problem is often in our own view of safety, we distance ourselves from God. These interpretations that we have, just like the one I mentioned, they force us to live in the shallow end of relationships and people. We become reactive and not receptive people. We are reactive to anything people do, but not receptive to enter into relationships and to bring healing and grace. We have often little notion of what life could really be as God designed for us because of our past. Like often the past creates what, and we'll get into this in a little bit in the next couple weeks, but a false self where we're alienated from our deepest reality and we settle for false intimacy. I'm going to be blunt. You know why some of us, or a lot of us maybe, men or women, are so addicted to pornography? It's not about the sex. It's about our need for intimacy. The past has cut us off from any form or any opportunity of actual intimacy. We, We settle for this false, cheap intimacy on the screen. But the beauty of Jesus is he offers us redemption in our past breaking our scripts, giving us a new one, a new interpretation. He cannot change the events. He cannot change your emotions, but he can change your interpretation. Tim Keller puts it really well about what Jesus offers us that's so different from the world. The biblical view of things is resurrection, not a future that is just a consolation for life we never had, but a restoration of the life we've always wanted. That means that every horrible thing that has ever happened will not only be run down and repaired, but in some way make the eventual glory and joy even greater. Your past, no matter how traumatic it is, Jesus can redeem that, not only to erase it, quote unquote, but to make some part of that trauma, that pain, even more beautiful in the future glory that awaits for us. Sharing our past to God is the way we can receive this new script. You know what Paul says to end this? We've probably heard this verse if you've been in the church for a while. But he says this, take every thought captive to obey Christ. Um, often for us living in a, in a very Western safe world, uh, the idea of war is very distant. We watch it from our screens. but we never, Even in our families probably for a couple generations, we haven't experienced it. But in this time, any reader understood what that meant. Um, you know, if, if you watch a lot of war movies, like Saving Private Ryan, one of my favorite movies, there's a scene where they capture a prisoner of war. They're trying to ca- take someone captive. Now, to take someone captive in, in an enemy battlefield, right, you capture an enemy and you're like, you're my prisoner of war, I'm going to take you captive. You cannot let your guard down. You can't be like, hey, yo, uh, Nazi SSS soldier, I'm going to take a nap. It's just stay right there. No, you will die. To take anything captive, you need to be 24-7 vigilant of the ability it has to damage you. And this is the thing with our past. Now I'm, saying, I'm not saying your whole past is out to get you. But so often we allow our past to take us captive. But Paul says, if you want to reverse that, take your past captive to obey 
Christ. The only way to uncover the unconscious is through conscious, habitual, habitual reflection with God. This is what I mean. And I've said this a lot at True North, and I'm not trying to call anyone out. When I always ask people at True North, what can I pray for you for? 99, no, 100% of the time, it's always the future. Pray for my future spouse, because I don't know who he or she is. Pray for my real estate, because I need this house. Pray for my kids, because I need kids, my kids to do well. And look, this is the thing. Again, as I always say, those are not bad things. I'm not saying don't pray for that. But when's the last time we prayed through our past? When's the last time we even thought about our past? We have to be able to share our past, to own it, to understand how our scripts are working and how Jesus can come in and give us a new one. Bring it to other people, and we'll talk about it in a little bit, but ultimately, we have to learn to bring our story to God. Jesus is not just about securing your future. That's already done. It's about redeeming your past as well. Because what the cross tells you is that no matter what you've been through, Jesus does not care. He still chooses you, which means there's a chance for redemption for whatever you've been through. There's a quote I found even this morning as I was getting ready for this, and I, and I found this to be a really good way to sum this up. Ronald Rollheiser, who's a really great thinker in this uh, field puts it this way. He's a, he's a Catholic theologian. All pain can be born can be born if it can be shared. Your trauma, your pain, your past, it, it, it can, you can carry it as long as you're able to share it. The sharing doesn't just have to do with friendship, community, and intimacy. It, ha- it also has to do with story. Pain can be born more generatively when it finds itself inside a larger story than our own when it shares a meta-narrative, a horizon wide enough to dwarf loneliness. It's such beautifully, so beautifully put. Your pain, I know it feels like it's just dragging you down from your past. What Jesus is telling is you can get through it as long as you have the courage and I will give it to you through the spirit to share it. And not just with people as you should, but to share it into God's story. To share it in the light of scripture and through prayer. And the next couple of weeks, we're going to journey through this. And as we get deeper and deeper, it's going to get often for a lot of us more painful and painful. And if you're like, man, I've got it all figured out. I don't really need that. Great. I'm not, I'm not trying to say like everyone needs this. But the people around you do. You have to realize, learn this, not just for yourself, but to be a good brother and sister in Christ. And for those that are hurting, let me close with this. Your past has determined your present, but it does not have to, but it does not have to determine your future. Your past has shaped you for who you are and might be who you're becoming, but it does not have to shape your future. Allow us to take our past captive in obedience to Christ and his story for you. The story that tells you, no matter what's happened, I'm not trying to erase it, but I have chosen you. The cross is proof of that. And I have hurt just like you. I've been in pain just like you. And I can empathize, not just give you pure sympathy, but deep empathy empathy with you. Your past does not define who you are. Christ offers us a chance to redeem it. Let's pray. Lord, uh, for a lot of us, I know um, being in a room this large, there's a lot of stuff. When we look back, we tense up physically. We black out. We get anxious. Uh, But I hope you can give us the courage as a church to, to journey together into our past, to take a chance to look through our past, not just on our own, 
but to wade through our memories, our conscious and unconscious memories with the Spirit, with the truth of Christ, with the cross in hand, that you have given us a story to share our pain into, that our past does shape who we are, but it does not define who we are. And Lord, for those that are already on this journey, continue to give them courage, strength, and the spirit to do so. And for the rest of us as a church, allow us to be a place where anyone can come and find room to heal from the past through God and through those around us. We thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.